everyone, this is Mike Epstein, and welcome back to Speaking of the Arts. Today we are featuring a new company called Virtual Concert Hall. They have created a unique product which aims to solve a major problem for both artists and venues right now, which is, how do you produce high-quality virtual concerts and recordings? As we have all experienced these past several weeks with live streaming, the quality from these sessions can be less than great, and the experience for both the artist and fans is also less than ideal. So how does virtual concert hall work? Here's a brief description of the process. We ship a sanitized box of state-of-the-art video and audio equipment to you and guide you in setting up via FaceTime. You perform, and we capture the best version of you and your music. For live streams, we provide a feed to your platforms of choice. You ship the box back to us, we edit and create a broadcast-ready master of your performance and deliver files to you. The company was created by Adam Abeshaus, and Adam is my featured guest speaker today. Adam is a multiple Grammy winner for both the audio engineering and production work he has done throughout his 35-year career. His bio is extensive, so I'm only going to read a few highlights. Adam has worked with Yitzhak Perelman, Joshua Bell, Emmanuel Axe, the London Symphony, and the Boston Symphony, among many others. And he has produced and engineered recordings for Sony, BMG, Naxos, EMI, also among many others, too numerous to list here. Our conversation covers what Virtual Concert Hall is all about. I think both artists and venues will find this especially useful, since the product can serve either side equally well. As always, thank you for listening, everyone, and hang in there, folks. Things will get better. All right. Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to speaking with you. And maybe just as a little bit of context for people listening, you and I were introduced about three or four weeks ago via mutual acquaintance. And I immediately thought, well, first of all, when um, our acquaintance, mutual acquaintance was describing you, I thought, I've got to talk to this guy because he's really on to something that is so timely for artists right now. And as I think we'll get into, what you've developed has so many more applications. So why don't, maybe just to start at the beginning, what, what kind of, what was the inspiration for Virtual Concert Hall? I mean, how did you, was there a certain point where this kind of came to you and you thought this, this, is a, this is a solution that I should create? Well, the first thing that happened was I, once the pandemic hit and people were, uh, quarantining themselves in their homes. And I started seeing all these artists reaching out, trying to maintain contact with their audiences. And so many people were doing things on their iPhones. They were just recording whatever they, whatever they could and, and, um, and just putting it out. And it was um, always so unsatisfying to me. And these are, in so many cases, were wonderful artists. But look, the iPhone does a great job for so many things. But in a package this size, it can't do everything. And the, the, the electronics that go into making a really great um, analog or digital circuit are very specific and they are, they are expensive. And so what ends up happening is you have these audios and videos that people are posting and they are, to me, grossly unsatisfying <laughs> because, um, you know, music to me has all kinds of subtlety. There's a wide dynamic range, there's color, there's nuance. And frankly, 
you don't get any of that on the iPhone. You get, you don't get to hear the person's heart. And um, so I started thinking about it. Well, what could I do with, you know, I've had 35 years of experience, almost 35 years of experience recording in all different kinds of venues all over the world. Um, lots of different kinds of rooms. And I thought, you know, I could probably help people figure out how to get the best sound out of their room. And so it started off with just this small kit where uh, I would build in a, a really nice choice of microphone, a choice of um, mic preamp and a recorder and uh, a way to get that into the iPhone so that it would be simple. And um, that was the, the genesis of it. And then it kind of grew and we started thinking, well, wouldn't it be great if we could really improve the video quality as well? And then we started thinking that um, in order to really engage with your audience, you, you need a, a higher level of production. But unfortunately, because we're uh, in this pandemic, we can't really be together. So we started coming up with solutions that, and what we ultimately came up with is we built this small, I'm calling it a supercomputer because what it can do is really super. It's, it may not have uh, all the processing power of a true supercomputer, but for our purposes, it, it's super. Uh, it enables me and my videography team to be virtually with you when you're doing this recording. And that is a huge, huge advantage. So I can help you find the sweet spot of your room. I can help you maybe use some acoustical materials to you know, uh, tune the room a little bit to make it better for recording. And so the way we've worked this is, it's basically over a three day period. Day one, we ship the box out to you either by Uber or someone on the staff drops it off. We, we, we figure all those details out. Um, and we help you set up. So basically you're gonna get a, uh, a six rack space rolling case. And inside the case, all of the connections are made to the computer, to the mic preamps and everything's all connected. The only thing you have to do is you unplug it, you attach the ethernet cable that connects us to the box and, and you to the box uh, to your internet uh, service providers to, uh, to your modem, to your router. And, um, and then from there, we can tell you exactly, uh, well, all the cables inside are, are labeled. So cable A goes to camera A, cable B goes to camera B, cable C goes to camera C. And then we have three or four mics, depending on what, what uh, the application is. And cable one goes to mic one, cable two, and so on and so forth. And then uh, the box also has a UPS in it, an uninterruptible power supply, so that regardless of where this thing gets sent, uh, the power will always be perfectly clean and the digital audio will, will benefit from that uh, and the digital video benefits from that. Um, and then we, we work with you to do proper microphone placement and camera setup. And so that takes about four hours. So um, we're basically trying to figure out how to make the best use of your individual room. And uh, we've chosen cameras that have 
really huge sensors so that the, for the most part, the available light in your room will satisfy the, these cameras. And also we're going for a certain kind of look of, uh, you know, you're being invited into this artist's home. And I think that in these days is a particularly powerful uh, image that you, you feel this connection to the artist by being invited into their, into their own private space. So um, we do the setup and we get all the cameras set, uh, all the angles set and all the, everything. And then we suggest the artist, then, then take the rest of the day off and change your head back from being a, a, a schlepper, you know, and then basically the, uh, the grunt who's doing the setup and go back into being your true artist self. And so the next day we do a recording session. And so there's a number of different levels and different ways we can do this. One is to set it up and do it as a stream. And, and that limits all the post-production. I think it also limits um, the potential real value of this thing by doing it just as a stream. Um, and I'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, but we do it, we, we do what's called a capture day and it's about a four, four hour session to capture about an hour's worth of material. And we're, we're giving these guidelines so that people do this, come into this feeling very prepared to do whatever music they're gonna do. Um, when you get into an audio video editing situation, you wanna keep the amount of post-production down as much as possible for everybody's budget sake. Um, and then, uh, so we do that four or five hour capture and then uh, the next day you pack it up and you ship it back to us. And so it generally takes about three days to do that beautifully. It looks, it looks like, um, like a movie. These are cinemagraphic cameras and the, the focus is, is really quite beautiful. Um, really sharp detail, uh, really the way your eye sees it. And then uh, the depth of field is set in such a way that uh, there's this softness in the background. And that's, it's really a lovely, a lovely picture. So it's a very engaging, very homey kind of uh, cinematographic image that comes with this. So the thing that I, I see as a great opportunity here is that the artist for the first time will have so much um, potential power to capture their own material that I don't want to see people just stream and send it out into the world and then that, that be it. I want to help them to create their own programming, their own uh, sort of uh, content collection. <laughs> and, and in order to do that, we do have to do... Uh, it's generally about a day of post-production. But I believe from that one day of post-production, the, the cost of that is more than, is, is way more than balanced out by the fact that you're gonna have a tangible asset for the rest of your life. This, this stuff will look so good and sounds so good and the artist can own it. I mean, that's what I, I love. I lo love the fact that the artist could do this for themselves. Uh, on that note, we are also being contacted by some different universities to help them with, with 
their concert series, but with different presenters. Um, it's becoming a real uh, stopgap measure for a lot of presenters this summer who, because of the virus, had to cancel their seasons. But they still have these relationships with these artists that they were going to do concerts with. So this becomes uh, a way for different presenters to fulfill those obligations, stay in contact with their audience, and, um, and, and keep things moving. Um, the beautiful thing about this particular computer and the way that we've set this up is that there are a number of different ways that we can handle uh, the streaming. Uh, the preferred way is for us to do a record first, do a little bit of post-production, clean things up, make, make, you know, all, make it all smooth and, and right, and then do a broadcast with these artists. And we can run sort of almost like a television show out of this box where we could have one of our uh, producers on a Skype call with, you know, a, um, a select few that um, perhaps if it's a festival and they have a list of donors that they, they want to maintain a relationship with, so you do a Skype call with those donors and those are the people who have access to the artist and can ask questions and you know, it's a little higher level of access, but then you offer uh, viewing the concert and the Q&A to your wider audience as a free service. And so the, I love this because it, it helps us create some sort of revenue stream to help support the artists doing this. But it also um, helps connect with the audience by offering a really high quality um, concert or, or presentation, but do that um, and leave the funding to, you know, a, a circle of donors. And Adam, can I just ask, when yeah. we're talking about live streaming, it doesn't matter the platform that the artist chooses to do the actual live stream. It could be Facebook, it could be Instagram. That doesn't matter, right? No. Uh, the thing that matters is how good your internet connection is. So that's why everything is done off an ethernet cable. And uh, we are suggesting to people, if you're going to do a live stream and a live stream with a call in or something like that, contact your internet um, provider and see if you can up the speed of your system before you do this. Uh, right now, we've done some where we had, uh, we measure the speed and it's in the 80s at 80 megabytes per second. That's good, that, that, that's, that's sufficient. Um, 100 would be better, uh, but the thing is, Wi-Fi wi is, way too low um, a connection to support the, the kind of data that pipe that this all this bandwidth needs. Well, and that also just speaks to what you were saying earlier. Um, if we're just if we're thinking about what the vast majority of artists are doing, which is from an iPhone, right. by definition, we're talking about Wi-Fi. So I just want people to have this bigger understanding of what you're talking about. It's it's um it's it's a complete overhaul of the audio visual quality, the connection to 
streaming for fans and artists to have a really good experience. It's really the complete solution. When you and I were first talking, you made a really good point. You said people need to stop thinking of live streaming as a substitute for what we all know to be the concert, the live concert experience. Right. It is not that. And can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think that really plays yeah. into the whole virtual concert hall experience you've created. Thank you, Mike. That's, that, that's great because I, I wasn't thinking along <laughs> those lines at the moment. And thanks for bringing my attention back to that. Yes. So we all miss live concerts. The, that shared communal experience, you know, everybody in the room, everybody feeling the same energy and, and reacting to the same, you know, acoustical impulses at the same time. That's an amazing human experience. We can't have that right now. It, just by the nature of the concert halls being closed or uh, people being separated, if, if, if they're open at all, you know, the number of people that can fit in the concert hall is, is greatly reduced. So um, it, it's a loss of that, that live experience. I, I also feel that it, it's a little bit unfair of us to expect that the artist is gonna be able to just you know, plug in something and then create a live experience. Mm -hmm. Because they don't, when they're there alone in their room, they don't have that energy back from the, or, or the reactions of the audience. They don't feel that, um, that human bond. They're looking at a screen. So this is also part of the reason why I'm so interested in having a little bit of post-production time so that the artists can feel freer when they're doing their record because they could have a safety net. And, and we can make sure that, you know, the best of them goes out under the care and, and, and um, beautiful production values of this, what the uh, uh, virtual concert hall can produce. So if we can't have that live experience, what can we have? Well, we could have something that, that is, elicits a similar response by making the content really beautiful and engaging. And we do that by making the visuals as, as, as beautiful as they can be, by presenting it with a little bit different circumstance, because how, how many of us actually get to hear, you know, a great artist in their home? So that's a nice little twist and a little bit of connection. And with, with really superb audio, because that's the thing that I have found with most of these productions, the audio quality really is lacking. And it, in my mind, it hurts, it hurts the music. So I feel like we have an opportunity here to actually create a whole new art form. And this is what actually excites me about this. We get to, to create these hour long movie, mus musical movies with all these different artists and they get a chance to really, you know, work and refine some performances and then capture them and preserve them with this beautiful video and beautiful audio. And then it's a, it's a tangible asset that lasts. And that's a beautiful, that's, that's a great thing. There's, it's amazing how much has changed for the, exp the concert experience as a whole in the past three months. And like, for example, 
people have become used to in just in just a short amount of time, not just used to uh, poor quality audio and visual, but also used to music now, even though it's being done live, it still can be on the background. So I might be tuned into a live stream, but I might be watching it while I'm making dinner. So it's um, being broadcast from my phone on the countertop. But right. I think what you've created is, so this begs the question, what has the feedback been like from people who have been part of the viewing experience? And do you have any suggestions for people when they have an opportunity to watch a virtual concert hall experience, what would be the, the optimal way to watch it uh, and to experience yeah. it? So we are suggesting to people to uh, watch this on, on a big screen TV because, you know, I remember growing up, the, the, uh, having a really great stereo system was, was you know, it was, it was, that was the be all and end all. You know, everybody wanted to have a really great stereo. And people don't seem to, to, to have that. We, we listen off the computer, we listen to our phones we, or with headphones. So the, the television, the, these smart, you know, large screen smart TVs, a lot of them, they have uh, YouTube, they have other, you know, ways of, of receiving stuff. So, and by and large, they have a better sound system than, say, your computer does. So this is a convenient, it, you already have this in your house. Um, and it becomes a, a convenient way to actually uh, get this, this production. And putting it on a large screen, um, you'll, you'll uh, you know, the impact of the video will, will be that much greater. Sure. And the sound will be better. Right, and also I would think from the artist's perspective who have, they've put so much time and effort into, let's say a 60 minute concert, to have the satisfaction of knowing their fans are sitting down and watching the whole thing and, and actively listening, right. I would think would be a huge benefit too. I think so. I, you know, our attention is being divided in so many ways and to carve out some, a, you know, a beautiful hour to invest in, in this kind of experience, I think will pay dividends. Yeah. You've talked at length about this system going to the artist, but it's also worth mentioning um, it can go to the venue too. And can you talk a little bit about some of the experience you've had having the system set up at a venue and what that implies? Right. So right now I'm, I'm just starting a production uh, with members of the Berlin Philharmonic and a whole range of soloists. I think Midori is going to be on this and uh, Jan Vogler here from the States. Um, so we're going to be setting up at a club called uh, Subculture. And great, great venue. Great venue. Yeah. Yeah. Mark Kaplan is uh, fantastic. Gentleman who owns it. Yeah. So apparently he was the first person to ever do our podcast. Oh, oh that's <laughs> episode great. number one is with Mark Kaplan. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So uh, we're gonna set the box up and bring in uh, Midori, and she's gonna record to a pre-recorded track, and then bring in Jan Vogler, and then there are a few other people in the New York area that that are gonna come in. We'll have a day of shooting, and then. All that stuff gets uploaded back to Berlin. Uh, the video guys 
uh, are there. And then th once they have their video cut, they're gonna send all this music back to me. I'll do the, the audio mix, then send that back to them and it'll all get put together. It, it becomes, the, the venue becomes a way to efficiently bring uh, multiple artists, to, not quite together, but virtually together. And it saves us a lot of setup time because we can basically frame everything. We can light things. Um, for this specific video, they have a, a certain aesthetic that they want. Um, so that will require a, a certain amount of lighting. But uh, it, it builds in this efficiency that is just fantastic. So. For example, if, if there is a festival that has a number of artists in, in the, this area, we could set up um, you know, a, a set of days to go in and just you know, do a number of different artists. And that can help drive the cost down because it's less days of wear and tear on the gear and, and setting up. And um, again, the efficiency is, is a wonderful thing. There's been a number of articles out recently talking about the importance of artists not undervaluing their work, specifically giving away these live stream concerts for free. Yeah. And I wanted to bring that up because I would imagine, we're, given that we're talking about such a high quality production here, it completely behooves the artist to think about the price they're gonna charge for their concert experience. And I was just reading something that talked about having surveyed a lot of um, fans, the vast majority want to support the artist with a virtual ticket. And once you've committed to paying that amount of money for a virtual ticket, um, your experience as a whole is better because you are going to be much more likely to sit down and experience the whole thing. So I guess my question is, it probably doesn't matter what platform we're talking about for the live stream because then the artists can choose any number of ways to create a virtual ticket. Right. In the, in the sessions that you've done, has, has, have the artists opted to do a virtual ticket or has that not come up yet? So you have to realize we're still in very early days with this. Mm -hmm. and, um, there's been some talk about partnering with Eventbrite you know, a, a ticketing service yeah. for some of them. Uh, a number of the festivals that we are uh, servicing this, that, that's our front focus right now, um, they, they have not, uh, they've decided not to charge because they feel like they did their fundraising already and that was in place and they have these relationships with these artists that they have to um, fulfill. So that's been the first model of what we're doing. But I think as we go on in this, and certainly if it's an artist producing this thing for themselves, uh, I think that model could, could work. And uh, I would love to see, the, you know, the artist make back their investment in this. You know, it, it may not, it might not happen overnight, but the beautiful thing about this is in, in the old days in the record business, we used to talk about albums that had legs, you know, that could last a long time. And I think the content that they create now 
um, because of the production values, it'll have legs. And that, the other thing about this is, as people start to amass their own content, you can repackage and re reuse things um, in really new and different ways than we ever have before. So for example, say you have a couple of different concerts or maybe you and an artist you admire um, or who you might share some you know, philosophical uh, ideas about um, similarities. You could build a whole new program by using parts of those concerts in conjunction with live discussion between you and, and uh, another artist. And so then you can have this, this new look at the same material and get much more mileage out of whatever it is that you've shot. And the, the new part is how the two artists now interact and talk to each other and then talk to the audience. So, cool. so you know, say you do a concert this year and two or three years down the road, you pick a couple of pieces from that concert and you know, say, say one person plays Straight No Chaser and then there's another you know, a friendly artist that, that, that plays the same tune. And then you put those, you take those two things and then they can have a discussion about it. And you know, it can get as, as either technical or philosophical about, about how you feel about the, those changes or what, what the piece does to you. It, it doesn't matter. Just it's like, it gives us new ways to make use of the same uh, material and see it in a new light. That's really cool. Um, I thought of something that I wanted to make sure people understand when you were describing sort of the technicality of yep. the system. So I just want to make sure people are aware if an artist is using this and they're doing a live stream, you and your team are there essentially producing the sound engineering the audio and visual in real time for the artist. Is that that's right? Yes. And but that's a huge advantage to I think anything that's being done right now, because because the artists, they have to think of it as um, they just like they would have the support of a sound engineer at a concert hall. They have the support of you and your team um, as they're doing the live concert virtually. Right. So there are there are certain aspects to, to that that we can change. There's certain aspects right now that that we can't. So that's why that day of of pre-production is right. so important because right. there are things like some of the levels we can't we we can't go in and, ch and change a mic preamp that's a, that's an analog circuit that you have to turn sure um so, some of the features on the cameras um are analog uh type features where you have to you know you set the iso you set the speed you know there are parameters that that gets set ahead of time. And those sort of things get, get sort of locked in during that uh, pre-production time. But there are, there are a, a number of other features that we can, we can adjust during the course of it and uh, things to help keep the stream going. And um, certainly uh, in terms of like moderating um, the, the, uh, a Skype call where people are interacting with the artist, all of that sort of stuff can, can happen in real time uh, during the stream. But the beautiful thing is 
the computer is built in such a way that we can record the stream, we can record all the ISOs, which is all the individual aspects that go into making the up that stream. We can have somebody on uh, during the live stream change cameras, so change the, the camera angles. Um, and we can, um, we can record, yeah, we can re record everything um, and preserve that. And so that at a later date, say, you know, a year later, you come back and say, you know, I would really love to, to you know, finish that and, and make, make new use of this material. Well, we can, we can bank that, all the data, and, uh, you know, come back to it at a later date if necessary. I always feel it's better to, to do everything while your head's in it. I mean, it's much more efficient. Um, but uh, the possibilities are endless with this thing. They really are. I mean, it's fun to think several miles down the road where this could go based on where you're at right now, even though it's somewhat in its infancy. For example, um, one of the things you mentioned to me a while ago was immersion or um, combining this with a more immersive experience, whether right. that's VR or anything like that. And the other thing I, I, I would love to have you talk about that. So maybe this is a two-parter. And the other thing I'm thinking about too is uh, what's possible to do live collaboration from multiple locations? Mm. And yeah. <laughs> the live co collaboration is, is tougher. Uh, it's definitely tougher. We'd have to have two of these systems and send it out to you know, multiple people. And would you run into different internet yeah. speed issues? Yes. Even yeah. if you're connected with an ethernet, then you still have problems with lag? You still have you still have latency problems. Okay. Um, you know, think of it. You don't know which way your signal is going to get routed. You know, when it hits the satellite and comes back down, where does it go? We don't know. I mean, nobody. People knows. forget too. This has to hit space before it. Yeah. Goes to the person <laughs> on yeah. land. And 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 it's kind of crazy. I, I feel a little bad about even complaining about lag. You know, when it's. When you think about what this signal has to do, it's crazy. Sure. But, but that, there are ways to do what you're after, but uh, that would be a little bit more involved in, the, in a production side. So, for example, you could, have, you could record basic tracks with mm -hmm. different, different artists and then have somebody play over the changes. Mm -hmm. um, or you could, you know, record... Uh, you know, Beethoven violin uh, sonatas, but somebody would put down the piano part first and then you, somebody else would have to lay, it, lay in the, the violin parts after on top of it. It's, to me, that's not quite as uh, satisfying as some of the other possibilities that, that the system can do. Sure. But, but um, look, there's so many wonderful things it, it can do and, mm -hmm. it, and it does, help fill a void. And it does help us connect and keep the connections with our audience. This is the, one of the other things that, that has just been proposed to me by um, two different universities that we're gonna be working with. Um, they see this not just as a, a stopgap for during this pandemic time, they see this as a way forward. And 
it's a way to like for example for some summer festivals for them to maintain contact with their with their audience all year round and we can build specific content and and productions to kind of um, help them maintain contact throughout the whole season, not just during their summer season when they would be most active. Right. And I think that's actually a really valuable thing. Right. Uh, for some of the universities, there's some edu- there are all these different educational uh, opportunities through this system, uh, ways for teachers and students to connect. Um, you know, if you think about it, it I remember from my days as a, as a violinist, you know, you go into your lesson and you're, and you're working on whatever piece it is. Uh, and my teacher would just hound me to, you know, to think about bow control, bow speed, you know, hearing all these different, very small nuanced uh, differences. And now if the teacher and the student can't be together, how is the teacher going to hear that? You, you don't hear it. You won't hear those sort of things on, on an iPhone. So uh, we're going to be building a whole bunch of smaller systems that, that can help supplement the audio side of, of the iPhone um, and uh, help improve the teacher-student experience. That's really great. So a couple more questions then yeah. just to make sure we cover some basics. If I'm an artist hearing about this for the first time, what are some considerations I might need? And you've already laid out the scenario. Probably we're looking at three days. First day is about four hours of setup. Then we'll take a break. The next day we'll do the recording. Then we'll do the sort of wrap up. But um, I don't know. I mean, are there any logistical things I would need to think about as an artist? Um, yeah, let's, let's talk about the room you want to record in. So the room should be free of extraneous echoes because um, you know, the interesting thing about recording is that- And just, just to be really specific, what do you mean by extraneous echo? Oh. Because here's what I'm getting at, because I wanted to also ask you the same question if I'm a presenter at a, at a venue. Right. And so when I hear the word echo, I think of an empty concert okay. hall and I think of clapping on stage and you hear a huge echo. Right. So there's, there's a complex set of waveforms when, when you clap. So the sound goes out and it bounces off the nearest objects and, the, and further objects and comes back. So all of these reverberations happen over, over a period of time. So in a small room, there's a much heavier proliferation of these earlier reflections. And so our ears understand that. And so when you hear a sound that's, that's recorded in a small room, your ears and your, you know, pick up those signals and your brain deciphers it and says, oh, that's a small room. When you, um, when you record with, in an absolutely dry space, and we, we tend to think of that as being sort of an unforgiving sort of sound, Excuse me. Um, we want we want there to be some life in the sound, some some reverberation, some uh, you know 
uh, it, it helps fill out the sound. Um, but you want to be able to control the balance of the early to late reflections and have a, um, that, that gives us a smoother, you know, more well-rounded sound. And we can do that through the use of um, reverb, digital reverb. But if there's too much of an imprint of those early reflections in the original recording, they will always be there. And so it makes, it limits how much I can then improve the sound to what our ears really wanna hear um, versus uh, what is imparted by the physical nature of the room that you did the original recording in. Like for example, the room that you're in right now, I can, I can hear the space around it. Exactly, that's why I have this background on because I'm, otherwise you would see my bed in the background. <laughs> right. But no, I'm in a very spacious space oh, yeah. and more importantly, there's tiles on the floor here. I, I was about to tell you that there's a <laughs> lot of hard surfaces near yeah, you. So absolutely. we could talk I, and, and um, I could help you just fix a little bit of the acoustic. Because what that does is it gives your voice a little bit of a hollow sound. And f so I can still understand everything you're saying. So it's, it's, not, it's not like it's not critical. Right. But it would make the experience for, for your listener more enjoyable and, and uh, more, it's an easier rapport if there aren't all those other extra extraneous reflections for this kind of purpose. Well, I have to say too, this would be a horrible room to play an instrument in. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's got a, a, a it's, it's really front loaded on that early reflection side. Yeah. That's that hollowness that we hear. So fixing the echo. So then let's take it to the presenter side. What are some considerations at their venue they might need to think about if they're going to use this system? Well, if, the, if you're in a presenter's venue, usually those spaces are acoustically beautiful. So, yeah. uh, or, or at least, you know, good. Right. Or you would hope so. But then, it, then it's just a matter of me choosing the right microphones to take advantage of the space. But in quarantine, when so many musicians are at home, they don't have recording studios. They don't have uh, rooms set up acoustically. Um, last week, I went to Daniel uh, Trifonov's uh, house, and his piano room was all hard surfaces, and, and it was very bright. And he was thinking, I got to get my piano technician to come and voice down the piano because it's just it's too loud in here. I can't get any nuance. And I brought up a whole bunch of um, acoustical blankets and, and I brought up a rug for, for his floor. You know, we, we FaceTimed and he showed me the room. And I just threw a whole bunch of acoustical materials that I had lying around the house um, and brought it up and set it up in his room. And uh, after about a half an hour, uh, he and his wife, he was playing and his wife walked in and she said, oh, it sounds so much better. And he said to her, yeah, now I don't have to have the piano revoiced. And to me, that was the, that was the best thing he could have, you know, could have said. Yeah. He was happy. He was, he, he, could, he could play with nuance and phrasing and timing. And he knew that what he was putting into those keys was coming back and, and, 
there was a, a proper relationship there. He didn't have to alter the ideas from his head, the way it would go through his hands to produce the sound that he wanted. Right. And that's, that's the key. And that's part of what that four hour time frame is. It's, it's finding, for an instrumentalist, uh, finding the sweet spot in, in a room. So if I, if I turn this way, I get, well, of course, this is my microphone influence. I'll get one kind of sound. If I turn, if I turn this way, my room has a slightly different sound. So it's, it's like understanding the directionality of how you face and how you set up in the room makes a very big difference. As you start to get more traction with this and you start to get a lot more content, are you thinking about creating some sort of a space for the content, for housing it all? Yes. Because um, that's sort of a leading question because I know the answer to it, but can you talk about what that entails? Yes, so we are starting, uh, it's a three-tiered uh, website. The website is thevirtualconcerthall.org and we're probably gonna start to go live maybe uh, by, by the end of next week, I think is when it's gonna uh, have its first iteration. And it'll be small, um, but it, it will grow substantially over this summer. Uh, and so the virtualconcerthall.org main room, the hall, is for place, is a place to store and, and archive all of these full productions that we do, these one hour movie musicals. And um, then we have a virtual concert room, which is where people can uh, put up the things that they do with our smaller package, with the iPhone video, but, but improved audio. So it's, it's sort of more of a, a budget uh, area. I'm sorry, that's a separate website? Well, it, it, it's a separate room within the website. Okay, so it's, it's the virtualconcerthall.org. Right. It's all going to be under the virtualconcerthall.org. Okay. So then you can go to the hall, which are these one-hour one hour, um, musical movies. Then the virtual concert room, which is a slightly lower uh, you know, scale productions, more, more homespun. And then we're going to have the media room, which is for all other kinds of content. Uh, it, could, it could be... Um, things that other people wanna to, want to post. Uh, I just saw a, a, a beautiful video of um, the Magic Flute with a young singer from the Dallas Opera. And they, I had nothing to do with it. They did a really fabulous job. Um, and, it, and so a video like that could get posted in the media room. So people will know that it's not, it's not stuff that we did, but it's stuff that we think is is great and uh, deserves to have a wider audience. And a great way to also just build a community around it too. Exactly, exactly, yeah. yeah. But whatever goes onto the site has to have a certain quality level. It, right. it's, gotta, it's gotta be engaging content. That's the bottom line. Right. Um, what else do I need to know about this if I'm interested Ooh, in it? You know what we <laughs> forgot? You know what else we forgot? We we had started to talk a little bit about immersive, but I think we should yes. we should come back to that. I just didn't want to leave it 
hanging where we left it hanging. Yeah, I think we should. That that's for an, another time. Uh, it's it's going to be a, a couple of years before that gets more fully realized. But just uh, as point of information, that is hopefully where we're headed. Uh, the the level of engagement can go up significantly when we get to the immersive stage, but that is in our plans. Right, right. Yeah. So I was just thinking. I mean, um, this might be a good point to kind of wrap up here. And is there anything else I should know about this if I'm interested in it? Where can I go if I'm listening to our podcast right now to find out more? You mentioned the website. Right. Is there any, are there any other resources right, right. now I could go to? I mean, to? People, people can contact me at adam at thevirtualconcerthall.org. That's the email address for it. Uh, well, that's my email address for this. Uh, starting probably by the end of next week, we'll... Um, in the second week of June, uh, the website will go live. And uh, that's at the virtual the virtualconcerthall.org. And there will be contact information there too. Great, great. Well, Adam, this was a real pleasure. I'm, oh, I'm so too. excited to see where this goes. And I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day today to talk more about this. I think. I think you're really provide you're providing something that isn't um, going to be in high demand. I think this is a brilliant idea. Thank you. I can't wait for you to see these productions we're doing now. Because you know, after recording pretty much, really just being on the audio side of things for 35 years, and then I assembled this incredible video team, and just seeing how these things look, um, these beautiful Zeiss lenses are. It's just fantastic. Yeah. So I look forward to serving the community and helping to, to keep building the bonds. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you for what you're doing and um, have a great day. Adam. It was really good to see your face. It's great. Great to talk to you. <laughs> and great, to, great to see you too. Yeah. All right. I'll be in touch. Thanks, Mike. Bye. Bye.